This week on the 430 movie, In the Shadow of Star Wars. Welcome, I'm Mark A. Altman, and you are listening to the 430 movie. Back in the 70s and 80s, before the advent of VHS, chances are, if you saw a classic movie, it was on the 430 movie. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. At With 5 o'clock. <laughs> before the news at 6 o'clock. With their famous theme weeks, it was a chance to see movies you never saw and get reacquainted with some old classics. Now on the 430 movie, we take over the vertical and the horizontal and put together our dream theme weeks that you could watch at home and relive the glory days of the 430 movie. Welcome. I'm Mark A. Altman, and I am thrilled to have our ace band of programmers back to tell you what you'll be seeing on In the Shadow of Star Wars Week. From Transformers Prime and the X-Men animated series, Star Wars Rebels, and the upcoming Star Wars Resistance, writer Stephen Melching. Hello. We have conceptual designer of such movies as The Chronicles of Riddick, uh, season two of Westworld, which recently ended, and the visual effects supervisor on Star Trek The Motion Picture, Mr. Darren Docterman. Welcome. And last but not least... Uh, he is a screenwriter for such films as X-Men First Class, Thor, and the upcoming Red Sonja. And uh, he also, as a TV writer, has worked on Fringe, Black Sails, and has Lore Season 2 coming out in October. Mr. Ashley E. Miller. Hello. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm Mark A. Altman, a writer and producer for such shows as The Librarians and Agent X, as well as the author of the upcoming Battlestar Galactica oral history, So Say We All. And uh, I'm uh, thrilled to be here on the new installment of the 430 movie. So how does this work, guys? The, basically, the 430 movie would have these theme weeks, Planet right. of the Apes weeks, Classic Sci-Fi week, uh, uh, Shrunken to Microscopic Proportions week, Godzilla week. And we would find out about it on the previous Friday. That's right. The previous right, right. Exactly. Yeah, you find out. Next week, uh, it's Ape Week. Unless yeah. you got TV Guide uh, right. the, you know, on Thursday and it said, you know, it's like, oh, my God, Planet of the Apes Week. Right. I am rushing home from school. So we are taking it upon ourselves to um, program all new theme weeks that you can uh, create at home through home video, uh, through DVD, Blu-ray, streaming, whatever. But uh, these are weeks that we are taking over. We're pr programming the uh, these dream theme weeks. And this week we're going to do In the Shadow of Star Wars. What do we mean by the In the Shadow? Shadow of Star Wars. Well, after Star Wars came out, it was a huge influence on uh, a series of films that all came out wanting to capture the success and uh, uh, creative highs of Star Wars. Some failed, some succeeded. And we're going to program some of these great Star Wars imitators this week. Because, of course, the 430 movie couldn't afford to license any of the actual <laughs> Star Wars movies. So instead, we will be uh, uh, showing the imitators this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So we're assuming that this isn't a week that was broken up by the ABC After School special. Son of a bitch. You just <laughs> took the words right out of my ah. mouth, although I was going to say, and we're not preempted by the Mets this week. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, we're not preempted. It will be five movies. And how will we do it? Well, we're going to all talk about films, and then we will decide uh, what those final five, the final five, uh, are, are going to be. Um, and uh, so I'm going to start with Steve, uh, you know, programmer number one. What, 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 what do you think, uh, what, what, what would you like to see on the 430 movie this week? Oh, boy. I mean, when you talk about the shadow of Star Wars, that is a huge shadow. That is a, you know, literally a Star Destroyer sized shadow. A um, Super Star Destroyer. Super Star Destroyer. <laughs> I mean, when that, was the you executor. know. 
that opening shot of Star Wars changed everything, and um, it I've made, never heard that before. <laughs> it made a whole generation of people, of kids especially, just crazy for that kind of entertainment. It was we we did you know some of us were primed, uh, uh, raised watching things like the original Star Trek or Planet of the Apes. So there was some, uh, you know, there was some science fiction uh, content out there, but nothing that came together in such a just overwhelming and spectacular way on the big screen as Star Wars. And so, of course, you know, Hollywood being what it is, uh, they wanted to ride that coattail as as long as they could and uh, try to cash in. I think there were some long gestating projects that suddenly had new life um, if they had a, a spaceship in it or some kind of genre content. Well, it's interesting because you had two types of, of these in the Shadow Stars. You had these big budget studio things that were trying to cash in, like we'll talk about Battlestar Galactic, I'm sure, you know, or uh, Roger Corman, who, who had made a career out of knocking off a popular trend with films like Battle Beyond the Stars. But then you had these foreign imports, like Message from Space or the Canadian classic Starship Invasions, mm -hmm. which were just like any distributor that could get their hands on a Star Wars, something that was vaguely Star Wars-esque, right. got thrown in a theater somewhere. Right. And it's the equivalent of what direct-to-video is now, or really direct-to-Netflix at this point. Um, so, Steve, do you have a film in mind? Oh, boy. Well, I mean... You know, you, you already mentioned, I mean, the first one that really came along in a big way was Battlestar Galactica. Um, and, you know, it was released theatrically um, in 1979, I believe. That's correct. It was re released uh, theatrically in 1979. In Sense Around. That's right. No less. It, the last movie uh, released in Sense Around. And uh, it premiered on ABC as a uh, three-hour TV movie event in September, uh, September 17th, 1978. Uh, which sounds like I'm particularly well-versed in Galactica. It is because <laughs> I am, and I have a new book coming out this week. Uh, so say we all, a complete oral history of Battlestar Galactica. Um, By the Lords of Cobol. I'll tell you something really funny. I was talking to Mark Hamill about what Galactica, and he said Name that uh, uh, with Star on Star Wars, or not Star Wars, but I guess when they were doing Empire, they used to call Battlestar Galactica Battlestar Copycatia. Yeah, I mean, it was the subject of a lawsuit um, that ultimately failed, as I recall. But um, uh, most of us kids, we were just, I was, you know, speaking for myself, I was starved for that kind of entertainment. So I was right in front of the TV on that Sunday night, I believe, when it premiered. Um, I happened to be living in Hawaii at the time. So our broadcast was not interrupted by Jimmy Carter, like right. I think it was in a lot of the country. On the sure East Coast was. It was. East Coast oh, it was. yeah. So I, mean, I saw the whole Darren thing. Darren and I are still it, pissed about it. Yeah. yeah and, Stupid you know, Middle East peace. It, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's funny. My, my relationship with Galactic is kind of interesting. I, uh, I loved it when I was a kid. I've always thought it was kind of cheesy. Um, and now that I'm revisiting it, it's cheesy but it's it's solid for the most part it's a fun show uh it has some wonderful designs for the uh star the different spaceships uh some of them designed by ralph mcquarrie um uh, john dykstra did the visual effects uh he left uh, industrial light and magic to, was pushed <laughs> was pushed uh <laughs> created his own visual effects shop and did Hugh some scream did, did some really <laughs> wonderful visual effects that hold up a lot of them hold up remarkably well 
today. You, you know, I was just watching it last night, and um, you know, some of those shots that got used over and over again because it was tremendously expensive to to create these shots on a television schedule and budget. So they they got the most out of them by reusing them uh, in in different ways, but. Um, uh, Glenn Larson created a, a great mythology um, based in part on uh, Mormon, uh, the Mormon uh, religious traditions and uh, created some really fun characters and uh, a show that only lasted a single season on television, not including Galactic 1980, um, but still endures uh, to this day and, and spawned uh, the, the reboot series uh, from Ron Moore. Well, you know, it's very easy to dismiss Battlestar Galactica as a Star Wars clone, but the reality is is it took advantage of the technology that existed. Uh, you had uh, John Dykstra doing um, uh, visual effects, as you said. You have, um, you know, Glenn Larson, who had a reputation as Glenn Larceny for taking, knocking off <laughs> um, concepts from movies, successful movies, and turning them into TV series. Now, if you take Glenn at his word, he actually had a concept called Adam's Ark, which was about a bunch of humans migrating into the cosmos looking for a new home mm -hmm. that he flipped and turned into Battlestar Galactica. But Battlestar Galactica, unlike Star Wars, was about a family. It was you know, it was certainly a much more depressing concept than interstellar genocide. Um, so I feel like Galactica, if you look at it, um, it's very easy to sort of dismiss it as a lightweight Star Wars ripoff. But when you take the time to look deeper, you see there's a lot more going on there, including sense around, than, um, uh, than you might uh, notice at first blush. I've always said that, unfortunately, Galactic has the reputation of being the Rodney Dangerfield of sci-fi. You know, I never got any respect. But uh, I, I think it's a very special series. I think it had a great cast, had a great concept. And, you know, um, if it wasn't always... Uh, perfectly executed but again we're just really looking at the uh the movie well, the, the premiere yeah they, i mean they did their work on that they really created you know they, they think they spent a fair amount of time creating an interesting mythology for the show it wasn't just a a straight ripoff they uh, created the whole idea of the 12 colonies and their their religious traditions well, and, and spirituality was something very new for a sci-fi uh, so you very rare. I mean, you could say the Force and Star Wars, but it was definitely Glenn Larson's Mormonism that was infused with that series, and so it brought in the horoscopes, the Geminons, the Pisces, and all that. But also, you know, the Lords of Cobol, the Council of the Twelve. Um, so there was a lot going on there. They put thought into it, you know. But then you also had a robot dog, which <laughs> negated a lot of it. Played by a monkey. Played by a mon <laughs> two monkeys, actually. Evie and uh, I forget who the other one was. Um, Were they both in the dog at the same time? No, no. One, one they, 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 the right well, tool for the bad. right job. Apparently, Evie was it's, a little more friendly. It's not like a horse costume. <laughs> but uh, you know, apparently, they, they all got scared from like the squibs and the explosions and like shooting fire in space was hysterical. Because you think, so you had like this monkey in a robot dog suit. You think that that'd be life because squibs are going off, <laughs> pooping itself. Let me ask you: think you think that'd suit. be the kind of actor that put doo doo in the costume? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I just think what, what's really funny is, you know, you look at some of the people that ABC was originally considering for Starbucks, people like Don Johnson. You can't imagine had, hmm. had they had they been been cast. And, and, and also uh, Barry Van Dyke, who eventually was cast in Galactic right. in 1980. Uh, but well, Dirk Benedict is so great, and ABC didn't want to hire him because they didn't think he was sexy enough. Huh. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't forget that Don Johnson at the time was like the Don Johnson of the A Boy and His Dog era. Yes, right. right. Um, so he was completely uh, 
equal to Dirk Benedict. Yeah, I in mean, every they way. were exactly the same. Well, yeah, because he had done the Clonus horror, and Dirk Benedict had done. Oh, right. Which you, which you can't even say. Which we'll do on Snake Week on the movie, along with Anaconda and. I think that what you say about about. Battlestar kind of getting the, the short shrift is uh, from, I, I think at the time, critically, I think is is, is pretty fair. I don't think, um, and I never thought that it was a Star Wars clone. Um, I always thought there was something interesting about it. And I think there were interesting things about that show that the, that the reboot never even touched uh, in, in meaningful ways. I thought that the most cool thing in that show was Count Imley. Mm-hmm. I loved that he had the same voice as the imperious leader. And it was just, all of that stuff was just fascinating to me. And, and it seemed like there were things that could just be mined and mined um, and, and never were, which is sad. But by the same token, it makes me want to go back and watch it. Um, and I think as well, you know, we say, well, it was only one season. Okay. But it's 1979. One season is what twenty six episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Twenty six episodes would make it the longest running show in the history of Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I mean, the equivalent of three seasons now. Yeah, yeah. That's and right. its numbers, its audience numbers, probably like would if you took Game of Thrones, all the seasons of it with right. all the viewers, wouldn't in Game equal of Thrones, wouldn't, what Battlestar Galactic yeah. is premiere. Yeah, not even close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really, really good point. Uh, no, well, I mean, let's look, not forget the score. The Stu Phillips right. score is stunning. Wonderful. Terrific. Beautiful. You know, they wanted a William S. score. They got a William S. score. And then not a lot of people can do John Williams. And Stu, Stu Phillips did something pretty remarkable. I think it's great that you mentioned Count Ibley, of course. Uh, Patrick McNee played that role. And uh, Ron Moore had actually toyed with the idea of bring, uh, doing Count Ibley in the new incarnation. They just couldn't crack it, and they abandoned doing Count Ibley. Although I think if you look at what happens with Starbuck, there are echoes of the white ship, and of the light ship, and 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 those uh, the, the entities, whatever they were, in 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 War of the Gods, which of course is really, I think, uh, the shining moment of the apex of, of Galactica is that War of the Gods two-parter. Yes. Although you could argue Living Legend, but I, I think War of the Gods has a little more going on um, than than Living Legend, which is also a great episode, which also could potentially be programmed on this because Mission Galactica: The Silent Attack is. Two galactic episodes cut into a theatrical movie. It's right. it's living legend in fire and space. So that would be eligible. Although I I, I I imagine you are suggesting that we show the Battlestar Galactica telefilm in sense around. Yes, on television. <laughs> Look, no, no, because you remember when um, I think it was NBC showed Earthquake, and you could watch it in sense around by listening to it on the radio oh. in concert with simulcast. Simulcast. It was yeah. simulcast on the radio. So when Earthquake was first aired on NBC, they made a big deal. Watch it in sense around, and you would have to tune into the simulcast on the radio to get the oh, uh, the base to get the uh, the, the base channel. Wow. Oh yeah, I did it. So I remember. It was I, I did see Galactic in sense around uh, that summer. Absolutely, I, I was a huge fan. Okay. You know, so so your nomination is is Battlestar Galactica for sure. Monday. Okay, we'll we'll come back to that and see if everyone agrees. Tuesday, Darren. You know, I think I. I'm going to go a little higher rent um, because I think one film that absolutely uh, came out of the success for Star Wars is... Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. No. (laughs) Although, I'm sure it's coming up. Um, Alien. Alien is a direct descendant of the success of Star Wars. We're going to have to cut that to shreds, though, when we air it on... Broadcast TV. Well, not now. <laughs> you can show anything on broadcast TV now. Um, 
but it's it it was definitely I mean it was started out in development as a a B picture, a very low budget sort of uh, knockoff sci-fi thing that would have been you know in the drive-in movies. Uh, but the fact that Star Wars did so well really uh, bumped up the budget, and uh, when they brought in Ridley Scott to direct it, they decided, okay, we're just going full throttle on this one, and we're going to give it the A-picture treatment and uh, really try and you know make this another tentpole, I mean, before tentpoles were a thing. And... Uh, you know, because it was uh, it was the same. Tents were more like sleeping bags. We didn't have poles. Things just. <laughs> I well, wouldn't know. I never went camping. Talk to the Bedouin. <laughs> um, but uh, the thing was that the the administration at Fox was the same. Mm-hmm. It was Alan the same Ladd group. Jr., yeah. Yes, Alan Ladd Jr. Um, greenlit this one, and uh, you know it was two years after Star Wars. It came out in 1979. It had a lot of the same production people involved in making it, and uh, it wa- it it did to the sort of horror genre the same thing that Star Wars did to the sci-fi genre. Mm-hmm. Even though they it overlaps both of them, um, it sort of has that sort of same lived-in uh, science fiction look that Star Wars established. Well, and it took it even further. Yeah, I mean, it went real working class. Ex- exactly, exactly. Yeah, those guys wake up and they think they're in a movie about space truckers. Right. Yeah. And oh shit. Well, they are yeah. in a movie about space truckers. <laughs> oh, and an egg. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Horton hears a who. Uh-huh. <laughs> let me ask Actually, you. Like let Horton me ask you a question. A is is this better for uh, Shadow Star Wars week or Haunted House week? Which which would which do you feel it lends itself? You know, I think that I think that um, Alien doesn't really work as as necessarily a a horror movie. I mean, it has elements of a horror movie. But it's it's a lot more sort of uh, tension than horror. I mean, uh, you know, you can debate me about this, but I would totally debate you about it. <laughs> but 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 I also see your point. It's, but it, it has it has a couple moments that are you know definitive horror things in it. But the horror. it is the, the an alien probably isn't possible without Star Wars. Absolutely, absolutely. Because some could argue that it's in the same universe, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be one of those, but um, it definitely is. They're cousins to each other. I would like to see Parker running around with a lightsaber. That would amuse me. <laughs> well, and it would. Be, home, take this. Boing. It would. It would the be. It, it would be a purple lightsaber, lightsaber too, <laughs> because because we're racist. And would that be an, <laughs> an effective weapon against an alien if you were to cut? Would it cauterize the wound? I think it probably would. Bleeding? It probably would. <laughs> right. Wow. Jedi versus Although pa- aliens. Pondo Baba's arm is bleeding. So no, we could see it because now that Disney is buying Fox, they will oh my own God. the alien the franchise. The Star Wars exactly. alien Jedi team up. Fight exactly. aliens. Exactly. Alien versus Jedi. Yeah. I, that's so awesome. And Jedi will be just right as, now. Oh my Jedi God, will be yes. just as useless <laughs> against aliens as they were against Palpatine in the prequel. <laughs> well, I mean, the guys wearing a freaking hood. They didn't know it was freaking Senator Palpatine under there. Well, the alien's hood would be a lot longer. <laughs> the, the Jedi were incompetent, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> the galactic they were just, Oh, my God. They made Sarah Yuri look like he knew what he was doing. Oh, my uh, goodness. That's bringing it back around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, okay, well, the alien. Uh, so the, your suggestion for Tuesday is alien. That's my suggestion. A- a- Ashley, Wednesday. Wednesday. 
Wednesday, I would program one of my favorite films of, of all time. Um, and I wouldn't say it's one of the best films of all time, but, uh, but it is something that um, has always made me happy and, and brought a smile to my face whenever I watched it. And one of the things I love the most about it is its fantastic pedigree. It's 1980s Battle Beyond the Stars, mm. uh, which was written by uh, John Sales, John Sales yeah. who is a writer's writer. Um, Not to be confused star. with Black Sales. Right, exactly, which was the show I worked on. It's spelled right. completely differently. Right. Um, but, no, but, but John Sales, who's a real, a real writer. Um, it was uh, James Horner did the score. Yeah. Pretty much the same score that he did for Aliens and for Star Trek Two. And Gorky Park. Gorky Park. It works every time. Jim Cameron was brought in to do special effects for this movie. Yeah. On the recommendation of Gail Ann Hurd. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Bill Paxton worked on this film, except he was a carpenter. Right. When you were on Lord, did you get to talk with Gail Ann Hurd much? Oh yeah. Did you talk about Battle Beyond the Stars? You know what? Um, I have, in fact, had a conversation with her about Battle Beyond the Stars, but it was it was years ago. Oh, it was, okay. but it was one of the first things I wanted to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> it was just tell me about what that was. Was like. she surprised that anybody was asking her about Battle Beyond? One hundred percent, because it's like there's that list of things that like people will ask about, and Battle Beyond the Stars is just not at the top of that yeah, list. Right. It's like Walking Dead, Aliens, and then you know down here about 138 <laughs> is Battle Beyond yeah. the Stars. Yeah, that's by really the funny. way, Ashley. Yeah. Many years ago, when I used to work for Jim Cameron, I discovered that he has a copy of Nell. Oh, I'm sure he does. Because, uh, honestly, the HK in the Terminator is it's pretty much Nell. Very, it's yes. only without wow. very similar. Yes. Yeah. I mean, by the way, that ship, if you turn it so that you're looking at it from, like, from the top, right. it's a uterus with fallopian tubes and ovaries. If you look at it from the front... It has boobs. I'm yeah. not being sexist here. No, I'm it, just stating facts. Anyone who looked at a picture no. of the ship, it, 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 there's no question. Of course it, it does. It's a boob ship. It's 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 badly. called Nell. Exactly. <laughs> and she's like a mother. Um, so she has all those things that mothers need, like a uterus. Because that's I what guess. they did in the 80s. You would have a ship and you'd say, oh, okay, you know, some guy is going to sketch and make it look like a pair of breasts, that's which right. is what they did. Exactly. Uh, it had an amazing cast. First of all, it was starring John Boy from the Waltons. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can't top that. Well, you can, but you can't. Uh, Who already had an action figure made by Mego of him. (laughs) Right. And then there's the great George Papard, who everybody remembers from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Right. Uh, (laughs) John Saxon. I was waiting for you to say the A-Team. Okay, well, there you go. Right, well, see, we went for a little surprise. We can talk about, like, Breakfast at Tiffany's on, like, movies that were never in the 430 movie week. Um, well, and Robert Audrey Moore. Hepburn week. Why does it have to be John? Yeah, right. We could. Let's do that. Yeah, I think we uh, should. Absolutely. I'll mm-hmm. do it right now. Charade. Uh, all right. <laughs> no. Right. Right. Tiffany, Sabrina, um, uh, Ro- Ro- Roman Holiday, and uh, let's see. Oh, and uh, I-, I hate Always, but maybe Always just because it was her final film. Well, there you go. Okay. Done. Okay. So, now we're done with right. that. Anyway. Done. Way more testosterone in Battle Beyond the Stars than, than, uh, than any of those films. Um but yeah, it's uh, it's it's basically a magnificent seven in space, which, as everybody Not knows, is it is magnificent seven in space, which is the seven samurai in the old in the west. west in space. So it's the seven <laughs> samurai in the old west in space, space. right? It's like you've got a character. It's like the a magnificent seven space samurai, <laughs> pretty much. Um, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's and it's just it, it, once you once you embrace the Roger Corman of it all, 
I mean, and we could probably have a whole conversation just about Roger Corman. It's Roger Corman week on no, the 430 you could movie. Easily, you could do weeks and weeks of Roger Corman and the people who came out of um, the Roger Corman quote-unquote We'll, 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 we'll do that. We'll, I'm sure we'll get to that. But, but not uh, now. Yeah, I I think, you know, this is one of those movies that if, if you can truly appreciate um, – especially now I'm talking about like sitting down and kind of watching it now sort of understanding film the way we we understand film now and and being um you know my kid's age and kind of what he's used to you know the level of special effects and even editing mm-hmm. um how things look um that you realize there is just there is so much passion for the film in the filmmaking they're making this this crazy little sci-fi Star Wars knockoff, and everybody seems to be having a great time, you know, and nobody seems to be phoning it in. It's just, it's lovely. It's so unpretentious, which I love about it, you know, unlike today where everything has to be, you know, so. Well, things were a lot more sort of earnest back in those days, and, and I miss that, you know. I, I, so many filmmakers these days just want to be too cool for school, mm-hmm. and, and they're afraid to show these kind of real emotions and, and be... I mean, well, and they're afraid of the content of the film. Yeah. They're, they're afraid of being pigeonholed into a genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they, there's just too much fear. Fear leads to anger and hate and all that Anger stuff. and hate it's lead the to Star killer. Wars prequels. That's Star right. Wars prequels death. lead back to anger and hate. Weird. I need my fear. And over death. to Battle Beyond the Star. Yeah. Brings total obliteration. And even that name, it's so pulpy, over. and every aspect of it is pulpy right. in a wonderful, you know, wonderful way. And I think Shout Factory put out a delightful uh, Blu-ray of mm-hmm. it that, you know, had some special features. And uh, you mentioned it earlier, but we can't say enough good things. As much as we joke about James Horner ripping off everything from Alexander Nevsky to, you know, every score he's ever done. It, it, the, his score for Battle Beyond the Stars, you know, people say, oh, Star Trek II is such a great score. Battle Beyond the Stars is a better score. Yes, it is. And it, it, yeah. was, and it was right when he did that in Humanoids for the Deep. Well, this and was a, this was a direct ripoff scores. of Star Trek the Motion Picture score. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, measure for it's measure. So and it's so It's really good. It's really it's good. so good. Is that, is that score available? Uh, it absolutely oh, yeah, is. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great and score. Battle Beyond the Stars was just uh, released um, in HD on iTunes the uh, the second week of August. Okay, so if this was going to be Wednesday's film, you can download it from iTunes to to, to bum, bum. Wednesday. So Battle Beyond the Stars would be our pick for Wednesday. BBS and uh, okay, um, and again Favorite we we will battle. lock these in once we get to Friday. But right now, I think we're going to have a couple of winners uh, until we get to me because I am going <laughs> to nominate for Thursday. In the Shadow of Star Wars, I'm, I'm reluctant to say it, to subject myself to, um, to, to <laughs> mockery. Ridicule. It's going to be Starship Invasions, isn't it? No, as much as I love Forbidden Christopher World. Lee. No, that would be Alien Week. Okay. You know, because yeah. that, there's a whole bunch of ripoffs of Alien, you know, Forbidden mm. World, Galaxy of Terror. See that, that aliens. I mean, it's so funny because we could put that on, on you know, all it's so modular because like <laughs> Alien could fit in this, it could fit in Alien Week, and I mean there were all those Alien ripoffs. Um, it could fit like you said, and you know, there's so many places for it to go. But um, I'm going to nominate, and 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 it is indeed a Star Wars ripoff, self-professed Moonraker. Oh uh, yes, Moonraker. Should've, I should have guessed reading your Twitter feed this morning. <laughs> I, 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 I've been thinking about it. I mean, I thought about Star Crash, and I thought about Buck Rogers, and you know, a bunch of these films. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to go with Moonraker because the thing about Moonraker is 
I wouldn't nominate it for James Bond week because it's not a great James Bond movie, but it is Shut your mouth. an incredibly entertaining, awesome, uh, fun. It, it you know it, it, you know basically uh, if you looked at uh, Spy Love Me, it says uh, James Bond will return in for your eyes only. But Star Wars was such a success mm-hmm. that the producers, you know, Cubby Broccoli, <laughs> decided to capitalize on the success of Star Wars. Do we have any James Bond novels that involve space in any way? Well, we have one that involves a moon, not a space station, (laughs) but uh, with Moonraker, which was, uh, you know, Hugo Drax is just threatening uh, London with uh, an atom bomb, which, of course, isn't big enough for 1979. And uh, as a result, um, uh, the, the, the book is completely thrown out. Um, other than the name Hugo Drax as the villain, played by the wonderful sneering Michael Lonsdale, and um, uh, and they do, you know, they go Bond, James Bond goes into space. He has a laser battle on board <laughs> da- Drax's secret space station. Um, you have Lois Childs as a brilliant NASA astronaut. Um, so. And and Derek Mettings, it's 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 clearly the high point of his work. Although you could argue that Spy Love Me was the high point of his miniature work because uh, the the stuff he did with Atlantis and Spy Love Me is is brilliant. But the space station, all that stuff, they 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 were so up against it in terms of um, time that the, that stuff is an optical printed. It's like they the way they did the 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 laser battles is 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 just incredible. Well, the reveal of the space station still is a thrilling shot where the you see just the, the, the sliver t- of the light sliver yeah, of yeah. It, and then as the sun rises over and illuminates the rest of the station with the music building it's it's r- r- fantastic well, it also has one of the great bond teasers of all time um which oh, unfortunately yes. gets a ridiculous button but it's 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 where james bond is pushed out of um, a plane without a parachute and then in mid-dive, steals the parachute from the other, from the antagonist, and then yeah. Jaws comes after him, and they fight in midair, and it's great up until... Jaws, the Richard Keel Jaws, not the shark Jaws. <laughs> yeah, Although, if it had been the shark... <laughs> <laughs> this time it's personal. That's right. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, you know, and then Jaws, unfortunately... Um, uh, uh, Flaps his flaps his arms and, and ends up uh, crashing to a circus tent uh, to the music the cal- calypso music and it just sort of it's a dead you know sort of tag and it's really sad because it's much like the end of Fear Eyes Only teaser where it's a great teaser up until you know Blofeld says um, I'll buy you Mister uh, Delicatessen Mister Bond you know before he dumps him in the the smokestack that's a that's a recurring problem in Moonraker it has some terrific action scenes it's that are undercut. always undercut by a silly joke at the end. Which is why I think its reputation is, you know, most serious Bond fans consider it one of the, the worst Bond movies, which I do not. Um, yeah. I think if you accept it on its own goofy terms, it works within that paradigm. But yet there's also some really great scenes. There's that wonderful scene where uh, a Bond is leaving the Drax estate and um, there's an assassin hidden in the trees mm. with a rifle. And... Uh, they're going skeet shooting. They're shooting the ducks or the pheasants or whatever. And um, Bond misses the, the, the target, you know, this this flying bird or whatever it is. And 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 Hugo Drax says, "You missed." And he goes, uh, "Did I?" And uh, the body drops out of the tree. The, the assassin, the that assassin was perched has in a tree with a rifle, killed by mm-hmm. by Bond. And uh, it's such a great 
moment of dry wit. And Lonsdale's really good with the sort of, you know, he's like, uh, f uh, you know, see that some harm comes to Mr. Bond. You know, take care of Mr. Bond, see that some harm comes to him. And, oh, uh, yeah, it's Bond coming, flying into LAX in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And getting they filmed in France. <laughs> yeah. So it's like they fly into LAX and they take they get a, helicopter a helicopter out to his French estate, which is supposed to be like in Studio City or something. <laughs> you know, it's like hysterical. It's so ridiculous. I mean, that's more ridiculous than the radar jamming space station. And uh, uh, and then, of course, I, I just absolutely love the Dobermans chasing oh, Kareen Clary through the yeah. woods and then killing her, you know, as the camera pans up. And the, that's the magnificent, magnificent John Barry score. Yeah. I mean, it is it is one of the great Bond scores. It's lush and beautiful and romantic. And um, it's just there's so much to love about. It. It's never boring. It's you know? very entertaining. It's, it's goofy, but it's very entertaining. And, and I, it has great action scenes. I mean, the chase in Venice and the canals is great. But then they undercut it with the joke. With the pigeon. With double the double take. take pigeon, which is uh, insane. I mean, it's just whoever's <laughs> idea. I mean, to do. I mean, just like, why? Was it the editor? Was it Cubby? I don't know. But I mean, that is just, there's, you know. Yeah, I don't you know. know the you double take sometimes pigeon. those things just seem like a good idea in the edit room. Like, oh, this is funny. Yeah, let's do it. Do you think they kind of like woke up, like, you know, after, you know, you spent the whole night drinking? You know, I did what? <laughs> okay, and they're like, "Oh shit, we got to go make for your eyes only." And like, they just got up and they just went and just made a completely. I think different... at that at that point in the Bond franchise, I think they were having a lot of second guessing as to what Bond was supposed to be. Mm, true, and uh, there was a lot of uh, trying to find out in this new sort of uh, blockbuster movie land uh, how Bond would be portrayed in movies, and this is one of the films that sort of transitioned into, uh, you know, sort of semi-comedy and semi-action. And it was it, it, a very sort of schizophrenic uh, attempt at figuring out what Bond well, was. Well, I learned all the wrong lessons from The Spy Who Loved Me, which, by right. the way, also completely threw out the source material. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but The Spy Who Loved Me, I think, as a story and as a Bond story, worked. Um, but Moonraker is almost beat for beat. The Spy Who Loved Me. Which is Wait. almost beat for beat. beat. You only live twice. Exactly. Yeah. Although I think Spy Who Loved Me is better than all of them. Yes. But, but, mm -hmm. but I, I will say this. Save it for James Bond week, guys. In, in terms <laughs> of what Darren just said, what people forget, and they dismiss this film out of hand because, you know, it's not popular to say you like Moonraker these days. Um, but it was a very, very financially successful movie. It was the biggest Bond movie I think uh, since Thunderball, it was hugely successful, and um, uh, but what's great about the Bond well, and, and franchise, I think part of that was due to the Shadow Star Wars. It, yes. it had spaceships, it right. had lasers, and James Bond. But it's also a self-correcting franchise. Mm -hmm. Like you know, when you do Die Another Day, the next movie is Casino Royale. You know, when you do Moonraker, the next movie is Fear Eyes Only. And what was really interesting, you know, and I think part of that also was you know at the time. UA had just had the failure of Heaven's Gate, mm -hmm. and they couldn't do another Moonraker. Moonraker was a big roll of the dice. It was super expensive at the time, and they were lucky. They, they you know, they, 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 it was a good gamble because the movie was successful. You couldn't afford to take a risk on another Moonraker at that point. So you go small and you do Fear Eyes Only. Um, but uh, you know, it's really interesting. If you look at the history of the Bond movies that when they tend to get big then they, they bring them back to Earth, in this case, literally. Um, I don't think you could have continued to go in that direction of Moonraker. You know, now, uh, you know, uh, 
until Disney acquires the rights where they go to the, you know bond to the Star Wars universe apparently but uh, I, I think that um, I think that's what's so great about the bond movies and again that's a conversation for probably another week but yeah Moonraker is my nomination for in the shadow of Star Wars on Thursday hmm. well I mean what are some other films we there's one big one we haven't talked about at all um, Star Trek the motion picture Star Trek the motion picture. Number I don't one. think that's a Star Wars ripoff. I think that's a uh, 2001 ripoff. Well, I don't it, think it's well, a ripoff. It's not a ripoff. I, I, yeah. I shouldn't say ripoff. But rip-off. it exists it's the wrong because word. Star Wars existed and was successful. Well, that's an interesting thing. Because the you know, the 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 popular story is that Paramount saw Star Wars open and they said, "Oh, what have we got that is like spacey?" And they said, "Well, we have this Star Trek thing." <laughs> um, that's not exactly what happened. What actually happened is that Star Wars opened and the uh, people running Paramount said, oh, well, now, now we'll never be able to release Star Trek because the, the market is gone. Everyone has watched Star Wars and, and everything, and so we're just going to go on with our with There's our, no future in science with fiction. Our, yeah, there's no yeah. future now because it's all the been money ruined. They're making. It's how, dead. How, but, but wait. How, how far along were they with Phase 2? Was that done at that point? It, they, they were in, into doing Phase 2 for, for the television. Paramount for, for television. Correct. What happened was, in November, Close Encounters opened and did huge. And uh, Charlie Bluthorn, head of Paramount and head of Gulf and Western, said, my God, that could have been us. Right. Yeah. And that's when they said, okay, we're, we're, we're pulling the rails on this thing and we're going to do the motion picture. And that's how that happened. Well, and also they were very unhappy with the succession of scripts, everything from Sure, uh, uh, Phil Kaufman's script. But you know, when the, the In Thy Image script was written for uh, Phase Two, mm-hmm. it was the first time that they were relatively Michael Eisner was relatively happy with the script for a Star Trek project. Right, and 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 that you know also along with the success of Star Wars and Close Encounters, you know, and I think you also have to remember. You know, phase two wasn't just canceled because of that. The Hughes network didn't happen. Right. It was supposed to be the cornerstone of a new network, and they couldn't put it together. They couldn't right. get the network, uh, make it work. So basically, that was going away anyway. Yeah. So what do we do with it? Do we do we piss away all this money we spent on production? And they spent for 10 years yeah. developing various incarnations and of Star Trek. And they were building sets. Yeah. They didn't know that Robert Wise was going to come on and throw out everything that was built. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they figured, okay, we got these sets. Let's do this low-budget movie with Bob Collins, right? You know, and 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 uh, we'll at least you know salvage this investment because at the time it was going to be what a ten million dollar movie, right? Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, Paramount was hoping for a response to Star Wars, but that's not what they got. And if you want, they marketed it like a new Star Wars, and I think that's one of the reasons why Happy Meals, why it's perceived as not being successful, even though it made a ton of money, right? Yeah, it, and it did. And if you want to read more about Star Trek The Motion Picture, The 50-Year Mission by Ed Gross and Mark Altman, available <laughs> wherever fine books are sold. Okay, so we also, well, what are some other? Well, uh, the one I was going to mention was The Black Hole. Oh, yeah. Disney's right. attempt. What a wonderful it. suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's a film, I, uh, 1979, I, uh, I believe. Yeah. I, I remember eagerly going to uh, see that at the local theater. And... Um, Having very mixed feelings as a result of it. It's 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 not a good movie. It's no, it's not. Yet it's, it stays with you. It, it yeah. I mean, it's 
it's kind of all over the map. It's one of those movies you're not quite. Is it a horror movie? Is it an adventure movie? It is a. Is it a mystery? Is well, it uh, a kids movie? Or is it all of the above? I mean, it kind of is. It's it's a movie that I one of the few when I was a child that I actually saw in the theater. Like I wanted to see it, mm-hmm. and so uh, we went. But uh, it, when I was what was what what year was that? Was it seventy nine? Yeah, I mean, I am at that point eight years old. Um, and, and, and I think we were talking about oh this. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. We, Ashley and I discovered recently that we grew up in the same area, and we may have seen the film at the same – I saw it at the Manassas Mall. Yeah, that's where I saw it. That's crazy. Yeah, totally. And I think we might have been in the same showing of The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yes, at the, at the Spring That Bowl. is so crazy. <laughs> it's completely bad. <laughs> I, 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 I think – oh, ahead. sorry. Go ahead. We should take into account all. that Friday – this is Friday – we sort of need the chaser. You know, for the week. And in a way, I feel like Black Hole is that. It has Roddy McDowell as a precocious acerbic <laughs> robot. It has Slim Pickens as a precocious, not as acerbic <laughs> robot. It has, you know, Maximilian Shell hamming it up to 11. With uh, a robot named Anthony Maximilian? Perkins, you know, as a jittery uh, uh, mother-loving scientist. Um, and you Ernest, who would have expected him to Ernest, go crazy? Ernest Borgnine, because as we said before, kids love Ernest, Ernest Borgnine. Borgnine. And Robert the, the cowardly Robert journalist. Forster, yeah. and, 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 and Robert Forster being a badass. In fact, at the Saturn Awards this year, you know, I, I was talking to Robert Forster for a little while. We were waiting to get our tickets out front. And uh, I said, you know, I just loved you on Twin Peaks. And obviously, you know, uh, you know, huge, huge fan of yours. I have to say, you know, what next year is because I have no idea what next year is. I said, it's the 40th anniversary of the Black Hole. And he was like, no way. I said, yeah. I said, what are we doing? <laughs> and he couldn't have been nicer. He was delightful. And, I, you know, speaking of Black Hole people, when, um, when, uh, when, when Rob and I were in Cannes with Free Enterprise, our movie Free Enterprise with Bill Shatner, um, we went to this party for Festival of Cannes. It was a movie called Festival of Cannes. Uh, Maximilian Schell was in it. And... <laughs> Maximilian Schell and Shatner hadn't seen each other since they shot Judgment in Nuremberg. Right. Oh. And so we brought Shatner in and he was like, and, and him and Maximilian were embracing and they were so happy to see each other and they were talking. And Rob and I just looked at each other. Oh my God, it's Commander Reinhardt and Captain Kirk. This <laughs> <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> and, and I mean, this is the Black Hole is a movie that's like, Really creepy. I mean, it's yes, for it. Yeah. It's really you know, it's like a big haunted haunted house type movie. Right. With, like the crew has been like lobotomized and turned into some kind of weird. <laughs> the dad, drones. her dad. She's looking for her dad. She's yeah. like ninety in that movie. Yeah. Yvette Mew is like she's looking for a dad who right? disappeared on this ship. But and my what? God, the rope Maximilian the robot. That scary. thing was scary. scary. He killed it. He killed the. Uh, uh, he killed Anthony Perkins, Anthony Perkins with, with who tried to protect himself blades. with a spiral notebook. Oh, but he, that, but he, that horrified me as a child. Yes, Just yes. the shot is on his face yes. as the whirling blade. But he makes through the book. he makes great margaritas. Oh my god! Okay, okay. <laughs> you know what? You know what? We're not where we. Okay, there, there's two, there are two things which put it over the top. May I, may, I, may I say there are two things that, that I think demand this movie's inclusion on Friday, and those are, in no, n- not in any specific order, the Cygnus. Which is mm-hmm. one of the most magnificent oh, designs because beautiful. it's not influenced beautiful. by Star Wars. It's this Jules Verne yes. insanity. There's nothing about it that's aerodynamic or anything that you would mm-hmm. you. But you, it's like a haunted house. Beautiful in space. model. I it's mean, how big gorgeous. was that model there? In like twelve feet or something. It's pretty, pretty it was big, massive. And, and it's, it's just, and we've never seen anything like it. And to this day, we've never seen 
uh, anything that looks like the Cygnus, you know, which is just a, a gorgeous ship. And I remember when th- you talked about the reveal in Moonraker. Mm. What about when they first revealed the when, Cygnus? When right. the lights yeah. come on come, in the oh Cygnus. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, that's freaking awesome. I took my kids to see it's a new Beverly. And, and I think I liked it more than they did, but they they really <laughs> enjoyed the you know there's a lot they liked about it, particularly old Bob because when you're you know that age, old Bob is the coolest thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Now number two, same as Moonraker. Who's the hero of this movie? John Barry. John Barry. John freaking <laughs> Barry. And his, and his two minutes of music oh, yes. repeated my, over yeah. and oh, over and over. It doesn't matter because it's terrific. two of the best. Minutes of music ever written for the cinema, and and three first of the worst soundtrack. First oh, digital soundtrack. Remember the LP? You don't because you're younger. But, right. Um, but they, we, I remember the LP came out and 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 stuck on the cover. It said first digital. I bought it at Jimmy's Music World. The second I saw it, first digital soundtrack. I gotta have that. Oh, I, I'm gonna, one day it's gonna be worth millions of dollars. <laughs> It's like it was beamed to us from this, the year 1982. And, and, and it's, it's also, uh, along with Star Trek, the motion picture coming out in the same year. Um, were Weeks the, earlier. The, yes. Were the last uh, movies to have uh, Overture. overtures. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So, and they were both recorded digitally, by the way. So, yeah. The soundtrack. And they were yeah. both great overtures. That's correct. So and people are sitting there. Why aren't they open the curtains? Why aren't they showing commercials? I loved uh, that shit. I mean, yeah. I saw like I saw both of those films in the theater, and I just thought that was the best thing ever. Just sitting there, it was like I missed it when I didn't hear another thing. Well, and I mm-hmm. love that main title sequence with the big grid of space yeah. with the mm-hmm. music playing, and you're swooping over it, and then you see the the funnel of the black hole sure. and in the distance, and you get closer, and then you spiral down into the black hole. Well, spoiler right. alert! You talked about mind screwing with kids. That ending, right? Oh, yeah. Where they're in hell. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. The, Maximilian is the devil. It's just, it's astounding. Well, that's like the, you know, it, it's, it's own two thousand one sort of in, you know yes. uh, reference. Where it's, I don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil anything, but you know that's that's happening in the mind of the girl. That's all. That's a dream from St. Elsewhere. The boy from St. Elsewhere is imagining. It's it like all? happening in a snow globe. Hey, I, I don't understand. No, that that's a dream sequence that oh. she has when they go through. How do you know? Is that in you? She's, having, she, she's dreaming all this? It didn't really yeah. happen? Yeah. No, it didn't. They saw that in the black... They went through the black well, that's hole. That's annoying. They took no. them through hell. That's annoying. I don't believe that. I don't, I, I don't know. Who says that? She says that? Watch the movie well, again. that's her so, interpretation. <laughs> that's my interpretation. But she's And I'm psychic. standing by it. She can see this stuff. Remember, yeah. she has ESP powers. Sure. That's how she's able to communicate with them. Right. She has Esper abilities. Well, I think the great thing about it is that <laughs> The 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 crew the crew of the Cygnus are directly relatable to the audience because we're just as numb as they are. Oh, well, thank look, you, uh, guys. So are, are we agreed that this is our week in the shadow of Star Wars? Monday, Battlestar Galactica. Tuesday, Saga of Alien. Star World. Yes, Saga <laughs> of a Star World. Steve. Tuesday, Alien. Wednesday, Battle Beyond the Stars. Thursday, Moonraker, and Friday. The black hole. I think wow, we're going to have a blockbuster week. We are. I mean, we didn't even mention Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, which Thank was released goodness. theatrically, and I, I saw it in the theater. That but, I didn't see, because um, I think I had pneumonia or something. Because it's terrible. terrible. Maybe yeah. we'll do that Wait, on well, Aaron Gray week. give me the pneumonia. Oh, spandex oh, week on the 430 right. movie. That's right. Off think. Off think. <laughs> um, so I will say this about the black hole, my, my last sort of comment about it. I'm having the strangest sensory experience right now. Um, I think... Because um, I saw that movie in the theater when I was so young, I remember very strongly the smell of popcorn in the theater. Mm. And I, like, I'm smelling it 
now. Wow. And it's like there's something about that part of the movie going experience, mm, right? Of just yeah. like the could, theater. Could be a tumor. It could be. <laughs> It could be, but just it just that the memory of that film is just so powerful that it brings. And back. what's funny, we were Did all you remember, very young, and we all remember, I'm sure, what theater we saw it at. Yeah, well, totally. yeah, Nash and I saw it in the, the Manassas Mall in Virginia, and uh, probably either before or after we paid a visit to the Aladdin's Castle yeah, Arcade right, right across. I the... might have even kicked your <laughs> ass at Zach. <laughs> Where did you see it? Where did you see <laughs> it? You remember? I never watched the Black Hole in a, in a theater oh, really? until oh. many years later. I saw it December 24th, Christmas Eve. 1979 at the King's Plaza Theater in Brooklyn, New York. Nice. I remember it like it was yesterday. I don't remember the popcorn, but I remember <laughs> the movie and the overture, and we would always see a movie on Christmas Eve. Now, and Star Trek the Motion Picture I saw in the Villa Park Cinemas where every seat is $1.15. Save, <laughs> save, save it for Star Trek week. This has been the 430 movie. Gentlemen, I want to thank you. Where can uh, people continue the conversation with you on social media, Steve Melching? Uh, at Stephen Melching. Darren Dogman? On Twitter. On Twitter, at Darren Doc, 1R. Ashton Noy. On Twitter, at Ashmaster Zero. And uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Mark A. Altman. I also want to remind you that my new book, So Say We All, comes out uh, this week uh, from Tor Books, available wherever books are sold. And if you're in the Los Angeles area, we will be screening Mission Galactica, The Silent Attack, at the prestigious American Cinematheque's Egyptian Theater with cast and crew from both series on Friday, August 24th. I hope you'll join me for what is sure to be a fantastic evening. But for now, we hope you'll enjoy this week, Shadow of Star Wars Week on the 430 movie. And join us next week when we once again <laughs> visit with the only gentleman spy with a license to kill. No, wait. No, wait. Isn't next week uh, – are you looking at the right thing? <laughs> <laughs> next week, I hope you'll join us for Superhero Week as we go up, up, and away with the world's greatest superheroes only on the 430 movie.